You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. I want you to picture this. You are one of the leaders in the church of Pergamum. Can you picture that in your mind? You're one of the leaders. doesn't matter if you're a teenager, uh, below a teenager, uh, an adult, man, woman. Like you're, you're one of the leaders in the church of Pergamum. And you receive a letter from the Apostle John. And this letter starts with Revelation 1. That's what we have. And it's a picture of Jesus. And man, this picture of Jesus is magnificent. It is beautiful. I mean, it is the Savior, the King that, that you worship, that you have placed your trust in. I mean, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's wearing a white robe. He's got amazing, beautiful white hair with a crown. I mean, this is your King. And so in Revelation 1, you're reading this letter as the leader of this church, and, and you're like, yes, like that's the God whom I serve. That is Jesus Christ, that who has brought me from death to life. And then... You read the first letter. This first letter would have been to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus would have been about 100 miles south of you. You knew people from the church of Ephesus. You knew some of those leaders. And, and so you're reading this letter. And, and as you're reading the letter to the church in Ephesus, you, you see this. Jesus says through the apostle John, you're doing good works, but you forgot your first love. And you're reading that, and you're like, yeah, man, I... I I really don't want my relationship with God to turn into religion. Like, I want this to be about a relationship with God. Like, I don't want to forget my first love. And so you're being encouraged and challenged by this letter to Ephesus. And then you read the second letter to the church in Smyrna. And, and <clears throat> this church is between you and Ephesus, about maybe 50 miles away or so, right between you guys. And <clears throat> to the church of Smyrna, it says, you will be persecuted. And there's a challenge to be bold in your faith. And you're experiencing some of that persecution that, that, that Smyrna's experiencing. You're hearing about your brothers that have experienced a martyrdom. They were killed for their faith. And so you're like, yes, I need, I need to be strong. I need to be bold for my faith. Because again, you're going back to the beginning of the letter. The king that I serve is, is the most amazing thing in the world. And I will give my life for this savior, for this king. And then you come to your letter. You're going into it, maybe a little fearful, what it's about to say. What is Jesus going to say to us? And, and now you get to read it. And here's how it starts. First off, you're commended for your faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people, I like the good news before the bad news. So I'm receiving this. I'm like, okay, good. All right, at least we're doing something okay. And so verse 13, I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So you hold fast to my name. This word hold fast means to, to remain strong. You've ruled over this persecution. One of your leaders, and we don't know a lot about this person, uh, Antipas, but He's called my faithful witness. We know that he was killed for his faith, killed for sharing the gospel. He was a martyr. And so he's saying, man, you even watched this happen and still you hold fast to my name. You haven't wavered. 
And so he's encouraging the church of Pergamum. Good job. Hold fast. But then in verses 14 through 15, you are, as a church, condemned for your compromise. And here's what he writes. But I have a few things against you. Now, remember again, like this isn't just John speaking. Jesus is telling John what to write to these churches. So when we're reading these words, I want us to make sure that we understand this is, this is God speaking to the church, his bride. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak and put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they may eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. And then he goes on to talk about the Nicolaitans and how they still hold to some of their teachings. So the word hold here that we see in verse 14 is actually the same origin type of word as we saw to when he said, you hold fast to my name. You're holding fast to my name. You're keeping your confidence and your faith and your trust in me, but also you're holding on to these other teachings, these other beliefs, this other system of living. And so you're split between these two worlds. You're compromising what is true and what is right because that's what you want to do. And so he's saying, even though this may be a seemingly small compromise, it infiltrates the church. Like the video, one cell gets infected, and then another, and then another. And this begins to spread, causing division and destruction and decay within the body of Christ. This is how false teaching spreads. This is how the church is compromised from the inside out. Is that there's, there's a single cell that brings in a little bit of false teaching, a little bit of compromise, and then another, then another, then another. So we've got the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So last week we addressed the Nicolaitans. Uh, they were uh, really causing the people of Smyrna to uh, practice worshiping the emperor, a pagan idolatry, sexual immorality. And now we're talking about Balaam the priest and Balak the king of Moab. So in Numbers 22 through 25 and in chapter 31 of Numbers, we see that there's this priest who um, is called upon by the king. So the king is Balak, and he goes and he calls upon this, this priest, and he tries to get the priest to condemn and even um, curse the Israelites. The Israelites have come out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They're starting to go into the promised land, and Moab sees them coming, and they see that they're leaving a wake of destruction behind them, that he can see very evidently that God is with this people. Because they're not incredibly strong, they don't have the best weapons, but there's a supernatural thing at hand here. And this king is watching this happen, and they're next. And so the Israelites are coming towards Moab, and he's going, something needs to happen. So he calls upon a priest, and he's like, I need you to curse these people. But instead of cursing, the priest gets up, and he, he prays, he goes before the Lord, and he says, you know, I, I, he wants me to curse these people, and God says no. So he ends up blessing them. And, and the king of Moab is like, what are you doing? And so he's like, no, you need to curse them. So he goes back to the Lord, and he says, no, you can't curse them. They're my people. And so he ends up giving them another blessing. He's like, what are you doing? And he's like, go back, curse them. And so three times he gives three blessings. 
But, but they're working together trying to figure out how this people group is not going to come through and take over their city. So what is said, and this is what we see in chapter 31, is that Balaam the priest begins to manipulate and poison some of the mindsets of the people and the king. And they start bringing in these, these pagan idolatry and this worship of immorality and idolatry into the culture. And that's really what ended up infecting these Israelites as they continued to travel on into the promised land. They absorbed some of these people and there was compromise that had happened. And then all of a sudden, all of this pagan worship and worship of other gods started infiltrating the Israelites. So it wasn't like God just came and, and wiped them out, but that they allowed just little bits of compromise enter in through the city of Moab into the culture of the Israelites and then it began to destroy them. That's what we're entering into here. Just a little bit of compromise. I mean, we have it around us. There are people groups around us that are trying to infiltrate our minds and our hearts to tell us truths that aren't found here in Scripture. Um, one of their names is uh, Instagrammers. They have their own name. Uh, there are the Facebookalonians uh, and the TikTokalites. It took me a while to come up with these, all right? <laughs> and you know what? For the Israelites, for the people of God, they would go to a temple to perform these sinful acts of immorality, idolatry, and sexual immorality. But for us today, please just look at me for a second. We don't actually have to go to a temple to perform um, acts of destruction and decay, the temple actually has come to us in the form of our phones, in the form of technology, in the form of iPads and computers, kids. Like, we no longer have to go find these things at the temple, at a place that we, we could be infiltrated and corrupted. It's actually the temple has come to us and has been piped into our hands so that we can see it face to face. It is destroying the church. False teaching is corrupting us because of a screen. This is serious. Because we hear those words, but we don't change our lifestyles. We still have it in front of us, and those things are still being piped in. And even when you try to scroll past them, we're catching these glimpses and these glimmers of compromise. And it's destroying and decaying our hearts and our souls and our minds. The mantra that our world lives by is live for today. Let the feelings inside of you guide you. Accept and tolerate. And so the people of God enjoyed these pagan food and pagan women and all sorts of stuff that started infiltrating this church. And instead of the body rejecting and disposing these damaged cells, Pergamum began to accept and tolerate these things. That's what we're seeing here. This will lead to death. Church, this will lead to death. And I love what the pastor and author John MacArthur writes. He says this, The church today, the church of Jesus Christ, is working very hard to be as much like the culture as possible. Instead of fleeing those things, it is becoming affirming rather than convicting, sentimental rather than theological, informal rather than solemn, entertaining rather than edifying, deceptive rather than honest, 
frivolous rather than worshipful. Churches don't like the idea that they're an offense to the culture, and they think that if they can just get close to everything that people enjoy in the culture, then they can somehow win them over. But that's not how it works. God never draws a line and says, try to get as close to this thing as possible, just don't step over. He tells us to flee, to run from these things. But what we've done is we've just tried to replicate everything that the world loves and then just say, just add Jesus into that. That's what the church of Pergamum is beginning to do. They're split. So why does this compromise happen? Well, because of this. We are easily influenced. We are easily influenced. I want to go back all the way to infancy. Do you guys remember that when you were an infant? Um, Parents, parents, when, you, when your baby starts crawling and walking um, and you see your baby fall, your reaction actually matters. It influences that baby. So a baby wipes out, and if you just run over and you're like, oh my goodness, my baby, and you pick it up and you're like, oh, did you get hurt? Oh, what did you break? What did you break? They're screaming their heads off. Listen, right now in my house, I got five of them. Like, I, I, I've got a little experience in this area right? But they fall over, they look up at you with these big eyes, and you're like, yay! What do they do? They giggle, laugh, and they, they shake it off, right? If they're really, truly hurt, you walk over, you say, hey, it's okay. You pick them up. You're like, you got this, right? It's happened to Maya yesterday in the pool. She like, she like legitimately scraped her back, and it was, it was a deep, like, oh. And so, but I went over, I'm like, you're okay, you're okay. I, I gave her, I didn't, I wasn't like rub dirt in it, but I was like, hey, you're okay, you're good, you're good. And I picked her up and we walked around and, and took her mind off of it. Like, your response matters. Why? Because we are easily influenced. We are a type of people that are easily influenced. I mean, from the serpent in the garden to everything dumb that you have ever done in your entire life, we are easily influenced. I mean, I don't know about you. Has anybody ever jumped off of a, a, like a bridge into water before? Yeah, we've got a good number of you. I just fell more in love with this church. Um, like, there was never a time where you were walking up a 30-foot bridge by yourself, and you thought, hey, that looks fun. I'm just going to jump off. No, there was people with you. There was somebody with you that's like, do it, man, do it. All right, yeah, look at me. Right, I had that experience. I was a youth leader in a youth ministry when I was in my 20s. And we found a cliff surface, and I climbed up it with three of my high school teenagers. They were seniors in high school. I was the leader. And we get up to the top. It was an 80-foot cliff, people. Like, we measured it. Like, we brought rope with us, and we measured it. And, like, if you have any logic in your mind, you don't jump. Like, and we're all sitting up there and we're looking over the edge like, what do we do? And before I know it, all three of them jumped off into the water. So what did I do? I wasn't going to be that guy. <laughs> hey, I'm just going to climb down, guys. Be down in about an hour. No, I was influenced to jump. Like, we do, we do really, really dumb things. Because we are easily influenced. We compromise. 
we are influenced by our environment. Our environment around us influences us. Who we surround ourselves with, the places we go, we are influenced. We see this in verses 14 and 15. I mean, they're living in this community and they're spending time with these people. They're engaging with them. They're their friends and their best friends and they're, they're, they're doing life with them. And little by little, that compromise begins to sink in. And so, our environment, what surrounds us, impacts us. It influences us. The two major ones that we see are physical and relational. Physical and relational. So our physical environments are things like our school, our neighborhood, our job. And these arenas take on an atmosphere of their own. They do. And each one is different. It's not like they're, they're all the same, like if you just go into the world and then get into, like they're all different and they all have different emphases. And you know this if you've been in different places. Like it could be places you hang out, maybe you like to um, go golfing with a group of guys, maybe you like to um, go hang out and do certain fun things, maybe it's, it's going on vacation and camping, whatever it may be, like those environments take shape and form and create their own environment. And so whether it's opinions on politics, social justice, finances, often we find ourselves in these physical environments that it's kind of like breathing in toxic air. I don't know if you remember what happened in Chernobyl. Do you guys know the story where the, the nuclear power plant blew up, it exploded, and people couldn't live around that area for years and years and years because the air was toxic. Some environments are not meant to be lived in. Hear me on this. There are some relationships that you need to get out of. There are some environments that you need to get out of. They are toxic environments and they are destroying you. And for some reason, and, and I think as Christians, often we could be like, well, we need to be the light in the midst of darkness. Absolutely. But when you're living in that environment and it's changing and transforming everything that you are to go against this, then you gotta get out. And so often we try to play this game and, and the relationships that we have, the relational environments, our friends, our family, influencers, social media, I mean, they pull us in every direction of belief. It's like a game of tug of war and you're the rope. Moms, dads, your parenting is influential. We need to fight hard at being intentional with our children. The world is extremely intentional. They're putting up billboards and ads everywhere. It doesn't matter if you've set your settings to rated G on your TV or on your tablet. They are piping in ideas and, and destruction into those things no matter what. No matter what it's rated. Little hints here and there to change and transform the way we think and act. Parents, we need to be intentional by how we shepherd our children in this word. If your kids are out of the house, if they're grown up, you need to be intentional with how you pursue your children. Now, as I'm saying that, I'm seeing some of the older kids in the room nodding their head yes. 
You know the ones that say they don't want to hear it from you? Yet they're saying, yes, we need you to be intentional, mom. We need you to be intentional, dad. Like even when we're telling you we don't want to hear it, we need to hear it. I don't want to watch commercials. They just pop up. So parents, be intentional. I mean, in psychology, my undergrad is in psychology. You know it's one of the primary major reasons why a kid does, goes into addiction? Daddy issues. Dads, we need to be intentional with our children. We need to point them to Jesus' throne of grace. Listen, we're going to mess up. It's okay, dads, to go to your children and say, I'm sorry. It's okay for you to walk into their room or call them up on the phone. If you're sitting here right now and you're feeling like this heavy weight on your chest, like, oh, yeah, he's talking about me. Like, it's okay for you to leave here and call one of your kids and say, hey, guess what? I'm sorry. I screwed up. Forgive me. Like, we need to be the type of men that are okay with saying, I'm sorry. But we want to continually point our children to God's throne of grace with, consonant, uh, with confidence. We must be planted in the word and in biblical community. Another thing we see is that double-minded belief will destroy you and it will destroy the church. Double-minded belief will destroy you and it will destroy the church. This is what we're seeing in verse 15. Some are holding to one teaching and another teaching and you're trying to hold fast to God and you're trying to hold fast to the teachings that we're seeing all around us um, in, in, the, in the world. It's this one foot in, one foot out mentality. Listen, if you're going to get into a car when you're leaving church today and the car starts moving, you're in some trouble. Agreed? Like one foot in, one foot out. It doesn't lead to anything good. In relationships, if you're one foot in, one foot out, if I said to you, hey man, like, how you doing? Like, you married? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Guessing things aren't going well, like, that's gonna lead to destruction. Like, this one foot, in, like, no relationship ever wants you to be one foot in, one foot out. In your job, if you're, like, just there to collect a paycheck, you're just kind of one foot in, one foot out, like, it's always gonna lead to something negative. So this double-minded approach will destroy you and it will destroy the church. The church in Pergamum, what they wanted to do is they wanted to live like the world and believe in Jesus as their savior. And the result is destruction. And then there's a therefore. Here's the deal. I love it when I see therefores in scripture. Therefore is very similar to a but. Because after it always comes good news. And in verse 16, after the leader, remember I said to, you're the leader reading this and you're about to have to deliver this to your church, your people. Like you hear these things, you're, you're, you're celebrated for how you're, you're holding fast, yet now you're condemned for your compromise. And then there's a therefore, verse 16. Therefore, repent, if not. Here's a response that, that Jesus himself is giving the church. It's repent or reject. You have two options. This isn't like multiple choice A, B, C, D. It's one or the other. Do you want to date? Yes, no, slid over to you. You got to circle one. There's no middle. 
Either you repent or you reject. You can reject Jesus' warning. You can reject this compromise and this worldly influence and live in double-mindedness. And if you reject what Jesus has said, that he is the only way, truth, and life, and that his word is what you need to understand and know how to experience the fullness of life. If you reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Lord means king, means he's the authority. He's the end-all be-all. Not what, what people on Instagram say or Twitter say, like God and his word is the authority. If you reject him, there is a promise for that. I want you to know that God gives you those that reject him as their Lord and Savior a promise. It says this, I will come to you soon and war against you with the sword of my mouth. That is a promise. That's not a maybe. That's not a if I feel like it. That's not a try to maybe do some good things in the world so that way I, I, it's not as bad. We do that with parents. Right? I remember growing up and like you knew you were going to get in trouble, but you tried to do some nice things so that the, the consequence wasn't that bad. Here is the promise for those that reject Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I will come to you soon and war against you with the sword of my mouth. This is serious. Reject, rejecting Jesus as your Lord and Savior is eternal separation from God. And we, would, we should wish that on no one. I don't care how much somebody has hurt you, how much pain they have caused you. We as the church should desire that all men be saved. And we, this, this passage should break our hearts for those that don't know Jesus and that have rejected Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Whether you want to submit to him or not, he is the authority. The sword that comes out of his mouth, his word, his truth. But if you repent, repent means turn away from this double-mindedness, turn away from this compromise, and receive him as your Lord and Savior, the King of all, the authority in your life, the one who is the end-all, be-all, then there's some other promises for you. The first one is satisfaction. We all long for this. We all long to be satisfied at our core. We all long for joy and peace. This is the manna that he's talking about in verses 16 and 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. This is satisfaction. In the midst of being hungry in the wilderness, God provided manna for the Israelites. It satisfied their bellies. Church, for those that have repented, we are promised satisfaction in him, the fulfilling of our deepest desires. Joy in the depths of our soul. Everything that you will ever long for. And many of you, you've lived according to the world and you know that the world and everything that it has to offer does not bring you any satisfaction. You've hit the bottom of the barrel. You've experienced whatever drugs or addictions are out there and you've realized and recognized it, it's always leaving you wanting more. Jesus will satisfy. He promises that, the hidden manna. And if you repent, there's another promise. Forgiveness. 
This is what he's talking about, the white stone. I will give him a white stone. This is in contrast to what was given to those um, that, that were guilty of a crime. They were given a black stone. If you were guilty of a crime, you were given a black stone. This is, I will give you a white stone. This is forgiveness. You are no longer guilty when you stand before a holy God. You are fully forgiven. You can't earn this. You don't earn your forgiveness. You don't earn the white stone. It is given to you by the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. So he promises you, for those that repent, you will be satisfied. You will be forgiven. And then the beauty of a new name, you are adopted. You are adopted. And I love this picture of adoption because I think often, like for, for Lauren and I, we went through the process of adoption, the Santanas have, and um, in those processes, um, for us specifically, there was a day where Hope was, was brought to our house, and at one point, she was a stranger to us. We didn't know her. And then there was another point, about a year and three months later, where she was legally our daughter, and her name was changed to Avecchio. But it's even bigger than that. The adoption we received from God, we weren't just merely a stranger. We were an enemy. Hope wasn't our enemy. We just didn't know her. We, before we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, are an enemy of God. And he takes us as an enemy with all of our filth and all of our destruction and all of our decay and all of our hopelessness and helplessness and he gives us a new name, his name. He covers us and gives us a completely new identity. We are no longer, no longer identified by our old life. No longer identified as part of the other team. We are now a son or a daughter of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So that's why at nighttime when I'm, when I'm speaking over my girls, I call them princesses. Not because I want them to feel like a, a fairy tale, because they are a princess of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Girls, moms, you are princesses of the King. Dads, men, we are princes. We have been given a new identity in Christ. We are satisfied, we are forgiven, and we are adopted. Church, we can't compromise. Life is short. It may feel long at times. Life is short. The world is going to throw everything at us. The devil is going to use the world around us to cause us to compromise. And just like the beginning of the video says, just like a healthy body does, we need to reject all false truth. All of those little bits of decay and destruction and compromise and throw them away and pursue the king because he alone is the way the truth, and the life. We need to repent and trust in him alone. Let's pray. Jesus, how often I just sit and think about how often I compromise. How often I allow the things of this world to infiltrate my heart and my mind. And I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry for allowing myself to allow these things to penetrate my heart and my mind. So God, I pray that right now that we as your church would repent knowing that we're all guilty of this, but we have a Savior, a good, good Father that has given us his Son who lived on our behalf so that we may have life. And so God, I pray that if there's anybody in here today that has been rejecting and rejecting and rejecting your truth, I pray that your spirit would do something miraculous, that your spirit would bring what is dead to life. For those that are pushing against your truth, for those that do not want to believe it, that those who are continually over and over again rejecting you, Lord, I pray that you don't allow them to experience your sword but that right now you would rejuvenate their hearts and their minds for your glory, that you would satisfy their souls, you would bring them forgiveness, and that you would give them right now in this very moment a new name. As you continue to sit there, um, and you can keep your eyes closed, be in prayer, be in prayer for those around you. Um, If you're here this morning and you have rejected Jesus, and you've tried all the things of this world and it is not bringing any satisfaction and you still feel lonely and broken and hurt, Jesus is the only answer. And the process of becoming a Christian is not a a certain class or a box to check It is a conversation with God himself. And so right now, you can sit there and ask God to forgive you. You can say, God, forgive me. God, I don't want to reject you anymore. God, I have been pushing against you. Please transform my heart, transform my mind. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask anybody that has a lanyard on that's part of our Connect team, if you guys would begin to make your way around to the outside of the sanctuary, around the sides, some in the front here, some in the back. And if you are one of those people that have been rejecting God, or maybe you just have not been taking your faith serious, I want you to go to these people. I want you to just go, anybody, yeah, you guys can go. Um, I want you to just pray with them. They are here for you to pray with you. You don't need to know what to say. You don't need to know what to do. Just come pray. If you're hurting, if you've been compromising, if you've been um, giving yourself over and over again to the things that are not of God, I ask that you would go and that you would pray with them as well. This is a time for the church to be the church. We want to surround each other with prayer. The church that we see in Acts devotes themselves to God's word, caring for one another, fellowship and prayer, breaking bread and prayer. That's the type of church we want to be. Thank you so much for being here with us. We love you. Happy Mother's Day, moms. Thanks for continually influencing us over and over again for God's glory. 
if you stand with us as we continue to sing. Most of the team has gone to the back of the room that wants to pray, so you can feel free. It won't be awkward because it just looks like you're maybe heading out to the bathroom. Um, and they can go back there and just grab one of them with a lanyard and let them pray for you. We love you. God bless you guys.